Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this gathering. Thank you for the word uh, that you have placed on my heart. Lord, I pray that it is stewarded and spoken well. And Lord, I pray that you take everything that is not from you and discard it from the minds of the hearers and leave only what you wish to speak to your people, God. So, I'm curious, has anybody had like a really bad week? No? Okay. Jonathan has. Um, there's been a lot going on this, uh, this year, I feel like. I've talked to a lot of people who's like, man, I just feel like, actually, I think I said this like a month or two ago, like, I just feel like I've had the tar kicked out of me this year. Like, just feel like I'm constantly getting beaten up and left for dead. Um, and this word is really, I believe, meant to encourage us who are feeling like that um, through kind of a difficult passage of Scripture. Um, and we're going to get to that in a minute. But before we do, I want to try to establish, if I can, just a baseline of the holiness of God. As from like a teaching standpoint, teaching on the holiness of God is very, very difficult. Because while we can logically understand or make assumptions about the holiness of God, it really has to be revealed to us through the Holy Spirit experientially. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try, though. <laughs> Sam Storm says, The holiness of God only secondarily refers to his moral purity, his righteousness of character. It primarily points to his infinite otherness. To say that God is holy is to say that he is transcendently separate. Holiness is not one attribute among many. It is not like grace or power or knowledge or wrath. Everything about God is holy. Each of his attributes partakes of divine holiness. Holiness is what makes the attributes of God different than our attributes. While we can have human grace or human forgiveness or human wrath, we cannot, apart from God, have holy grace or holy forgiveness or holy wrath. It is the essence of everything that comes from God. If you read the Old Testament, it is the main description of God. The adjective holy in the Old Testament is used more often than any other attribute of God combined. It is the main message of who he is, is holiness. Um, when I was in high school, I'm really glad that none of you guys knew me in high school. My wife knew me right at the end of high school, and somehow she still married me. I think it was because of my beard. But when I was in high school, I just really thought I was cool. I bought a shirt that had a picture of Jesus on it, wearing aviators, and it said, Jesus is my homeboy. Do you remember that shirt? Do you remember that? Yeah. Jonathan had a couple, probably. <laughs> I bought that shirt, and it was like, it made everybody look at me. Everybody just thought it was so cool. Jesus and aviators. Jesus is my homeboy. And I wore that shirt because I only had 
a logical knowledge of the holiness of God. When I was 18, I had an experience, and I saw a tiny little bit of the holiness of God, and I burned that shirt the next day because I saw myself in contrast to the holiness of God, and it knocked me on my face. God is so holy, he's so other, so different, that the mundane and the common cannot exist in his presence. And we wear shirts like that, and we reduce God, the holiness of God, to the common and the mundane. This is why the Levitical law was established. Most of us in America believe that the law was established to forgive sins before Christ. But if you study Leviticus, you'll see that that's actually not the case. That there was one day of atonement where sin was dealt with, but otherwise there was no offering or sacrifice for intentional sin. And the blood of the animals was never applied to the person making the sacrifice. It was applied to the altar. It was applied to the temple. It was applied to the priests. What the Levitical law was doing was it was establishing a place on earth that was holy, that God could come and dwell among his people, It was taking things and objects that were common and it was setting them apart as something that was holy so that God could interact with his people. I'm going to get to a little bit more of that in a minute. Um, In the, uh, the Old Testament, some of the things that we see, which is kind of tragic, a lot of people will use the holiness of God to try to prove that he is unjust or unkind. And they use uh, verses like when they were walking with the ark and the cart faltered and somebody reached out and touched it to stabilize it and they fell over dead. They'll say, see, that's not just, that's not fair. Or when God was on the mountain... With Moses, it said that if a beast, an animal, so much as touched that mountain, it would die. Let alone what would happen to a person. The reason for that, obviously, is not because God is unjust. It's because God is holy. And when we approach God with the mundane and the common, it results in death. At least in the Old Testament, there's been some change to that now with Jesus. But that's why when someone touched the ark to keep it from falling, he was not ritually clean or ritually purified or ritually made holy, which is how they had to be made holy. And so he died. Leviticus, you don't have to go here. Uh, Leviticus 19.2, Leviticus 11.45, Leviticus 27, Leviticus 21.8 all say the same thing. Be holy as I am holy. You want to talk about an unattainable standard. Especially once we have an experience or a revelation of the holiness of God, the idea of me being holy is 
It's so far outside of my grasp of comprehension. In Hebrews, you can go here. This is where we're going to spend most of our time. I would really love to spend a lot more time in Leviticus, but I'll not. But I will say this about Leviticus. If you want to understand better the atonement and the incarnation and mercy, then get to know the Old Testament and study the Old Testament and then study Hebrews. Um, and it will bring, it brings so much life. So we're going to read uh, Hebrews 10. And this is just kind of to cap off this quick little uh, baseline of holy, the holiness of God. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities. It can never by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered since the worshipers having once been cleansed would no longer have any consciousness of sin. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings, you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said above, You have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifice and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings, which are offered according to the law. Then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifice, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sin, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. For after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them, after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin, but a fearful expectation of judgments and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. 
Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much, more, how much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with suffering, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. Since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one, Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have a need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Okay. We're going to put a bookmark there for a second, and we're going to get to some of the good stuff here. The Bible, if you spend any time reading the Bible, which I hope you all do, sometimes you read the Bible, and it's like, man, this is so good, this is so encouraging, this is just what I needed, and then other times you read the Bible, and it's, if you don't forgive those who wronged you, the Father in heaven won't forgive you, and it's like, oh man, That's a hard pill to swallow. That's a tough one. It's important that we look at some of these really difficult verses and that we are good students of the word, that we apply the word to our lives and not our lives to the word. When you're talking about studying the Bible, exegesis is taking the word of God and applying it to your worldview, and eisegesis is applying your worldview to the Bible. And that's where we get a lot of our heresies and a lot of misinterpretations and a lot of confusion in the church. And so we want to make sure that when we read a verse that's really challenging or really convicting, that we apply that to our lives and that we don't try to make that fit in the construct of what's comfortable and convenient. Hebrews 12, 6. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. That word discipline, we need to separate it a little bit from punishment. The Greek there, and I apologize because I'm going to mess this up, is paideo or padio. If you want to look it up, it's, well, Google. Um, And it means a few things. It's applied a few different ways in scripture. To train children or to be instructed or taught. To mold the character of another by reproof or correction. This word is the word they used when they translated the Old Testament when Paul in Acts was talking about Moses being instructed in all the ways of the Egyptians. This is the word they used. So it's not just a punishment. It can be used in that way of how we punish uh, someone who has wronged us or we punish an evildoer. 
but we also need to, to make sure that we're thinking of it in terms of teaching and education and molding of character. The next word, and this is the one that's really difficult, chastise. It does not have as many meanings. It has one, to flog, literally or figuratively, to flog. It's been used five times in the New Testament. It's used here in Hebrews, where it says the Lord dis, or, uh, chastises every son he, who he receives. The other four uses are all in reference to Jesus being flogged at the hands of the Romans. It's very, very clear what this word is portraying, and it's not pretty. It's not very encouraging. Every son whom the Father receives, he chastises. Okay. So with that context, we're going to read some more of Hebrews. Hebrews 11:32 through 12:14. And when we as we're reading this, I want you to remember those two definitions. Molding of character through correction and figuratively or literally to flog. And what more shall I say, for time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped to the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight, women received back their dead by resurrection, Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all of these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. Since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, because we have the testimony of all of these great men and women of faith, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children 
and you are not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we rejected them, or <laughs> respected them. Sometimes. Sometimes. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained for it. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone and for holiness without which no one will see God. So this is the other day what I was reading in that phrase, we may share his holiness. And I started thinking about that in the context, I guess, of the bigger picture of what's going on in the world and what's going on with us locally. It's really, really easy, especially in America where we really don't suffer persecution, to get frustrated when the Lord is molding us and crushing us and pressing on us and we get really tired. I said that this week. I was complaining to my wife. I said, I'm so tired of being sick. Like I was sick, and then I was a little better for a day, and then I was worse, and then it was my kids were sick, and then they were better, and then they were worse. And it was just this like up and down. Oh, Lord, I'm so tired of being sick. I don't want to be sick anymore. Which is silly to complain about such a small temporary sickness when we have all these other really big things going on. And we can apply that frustration to all these different areas of our lives. Somebody told me this week they were asking the Lord, don't you see me? Can't you see what's happening to me? Can't you see the struggle in my family? And we want to cry out to the Lord when we're, when we're going through, through that hard, hard stuff. We're going through that molding. Don't you see me, God? Don't you see my family? Don't you see the sickness? Don't you see that my body is broken, that I'm in pain, I can barely move? Don't you see that my child is suffering or that my spouse is suffering? Aren't you supposed to be good? Don't you care? And the answer booms from heaven out of the book of Hebrews with a resounding yes. I see you. Yes, I know. Yes, I care. And not only do I see your affliction, your flogging, I'm using that flogging to produce in you a fruit and a righteousness. And it's the only way. 
He's producing righteousness. And listen, if you walk away with anything today, the affliction and the pain and the struggle, he's sharing his holiness with you. Without holiness, it is impossible to see God. You and I can't be holy. We can't do it on our own. But God, who is holy through Jesus, shares his holiness with us. Why? So that we may see him. Why? So that he can dwell among us. That's the whole story of the Old Testament, or a big part of it anyway. God wants to dwell with his people. He wants to be in the midst of his people. In the, in the temple... There was a curtain that surrounded the ark, or the most, not the ark, I'm sorry, the most holy place. And the really interesting thing, if you read about this curtain, it's made from the most expensive material by the best craftsmen. And it surrounds the most holy place, which is the the dwelling place of God, the presence of God. And there's no hole or seam in this curtain. It's connected all the way around. And it separates the common from the presence of God. And the author of Hebrews says that when the body of Christ was torn, that curtain was torn, allowing us to share in the holiness of God so that we can enter into his presence and we can dwell in the presence of God. Don't, don't reject the pressing of the Lord. Don't reject the crushing and the suffering. Now, we need to be students of the whole Bible, right? And we're also told that if there's sick among you, to pray for them. Have the elders or overseers pray for them so that they can be healed. I want to clarify that I'm not saying when we suffer, that we don't ask the Lord to remove that. I think that is completely biblical. We have a lot of biblical example for that, right? But what I am saying is we have to have discernment and wisdom and that we don't credit the devil for what God is doing in our lives, producing righteousness in us. We are not yet in this country at a place where we experience persecution for our faith. Not really. I, I personally believe that day is coming. Maybe it's not, but I believe that day is coming. But we partake with those around the world. Yeah. It's definitely happening to a certain extent here. But there's hope and the promise that it's not in vain. And that it's bringing about the holiness of the saints. This is a present reality. The curtain has been torn. This isn't something still to come. We have the presence of God available to us now through the blood of Jesus. I think about that. 
his body torn, allowing the presence of God, the Spirit of God, to dwell among us. And I put him on a t-shirt and called him homeboy. Where we take the sacrament of the body and the blood and we rush it or we're thinking about something else. I'm not trying to make it, this isn't like a you should feel guilty about this thing, but approach the presence of God with reverence and awe. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. We have to have an understanding, guys, of who the Father is. All of the Father. Not just the parts that we like or are comfortable with. If you read the Old Testament, it prophesies a time that hasn't happened yet, I think in Isaiah, that Jesus will come up over the horizon with the blood of his enemies dripping off of his robe. I put him on a t-shirt. God, forgive us for complaining when you are making us holy, when you are sharing your holiness with us, God. Give us the ability to endure and persevere for the sake of righteousness and holiness. Forgive our ignorance and our irreverence when we apply the Spirit of God or the presence of God to the mundane and the common. Thank you that you, through the work of Jesus, have made us holy, that we are no longer mundane, we are no longer common, but that we are fit to be image bearers of God and to carry the presence of the Holy Spirit I'm going to stop there, Jonathan. I'm going to let you close. (laughs) Or Brian. I would just say, it's so confirming to my heart. Psalms 139 says that my ways are not hidden from you. You're familiar with all of my paths. And he says, you have hemmed me in behind and before And remember what it says he does with his hand? And you lay your hand upon me. And and if you think about the the grapes being pressed like that from behind and before and then pressing down with his hand and, and you can feel it, right? You can feel the Lord doing this pressing work and it's so painful and you're crying out for a change, but it's so good. You have need of endurance, right? So I just love, I just want to say yes to that word. Amen. Yeah, amen. Thank you so much, Drew. That was just convicting and uh, enlightening at the same time. And I always think about how 
The Bible says, don't kick against the goads. When, when the Lord is trying to move us, when he's trying to do this work in our life, be careful of kicking back against the discipline of God. He's doing it out of love, and it's, it's such a deep work, and it's because he loves us, and you just, it's like you can't say that enough. You can't say, he's disciplining me, and he loves me. He's disciplining me, and he loves me. It's because he loves me. It's because he wants me to share in his holiness. Such a deep, deep truth. Thank you, Drew, for sharing that.